Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Udang Dhammang Sangang Namasami So for some reading. <clears throat> this is uh, also another way in which Sankara appear as a reference is in the uh, collection called the Aggregates, the Kanda, five Kanda. So just to recognize, you know, the Buddha is translating his experience into these conceptual terms which he finds most useful yeah. uh, of course it's concepts it's ways of dividing the cake slicing it up in different pieces and this particular um, collection a way of looking at experience the five kanda uh, contains or one of the kanda is sankara and it plays a very crucial element in the, the kanda, the aggregates. The kanda is translated as aggregate. <coughs> what that means, it's something that sticks together. And each one of the five aggregates is, an, has, is not one thing, but many things stuck together. <laughs> so it's a sticking together the things that are stuck together. And what sticks them together, of course, is the sankara, is the activity that sticks it all together uh, so that's the they're, so therefore they're called upadana kanda or aggregates that are stuck together <laughs> and uh, the sense of presenting this way is realizing if you if it stops being stuck together and and starts to dismantle and come apart you know there's freedom and space you know it's not there's annihilation but there's a sense of freedom space because this stuff is no longer being welded together into often quite painful and uh, um, you know, dis- abusive and disharmonious forms. <coughs> <coughs> so framing it up. Um, so there's a whole collection in the Sangyuta Nikaya called the Kanda Sangyuta, which says Often these things are quite repetitive, but I'll just pick up a couple. Bhikkhus, without directly knowing and fully understanding form, without becoming dispassionate towards it and abandoning it, one is incapable of destroying suffering. Without directly knowing and fully understanding feeling, perception, sankhara, here it's translated as volitional formations, Consciousness, without becoming dispassionate towards and abandoning it, one is incapable of destroying suffering. Because by directly knowing and fully understanding form, uh, feeling, perception, volitional formations and consciousness, by becoming dispassionate towards it and abandoning it, one is capable of destroying suffering. 
So that's the 24th in this collection. <coughs> so the five aggregates, form, rupa, uh, <coughs> feeling, vedana, and perception, sanya, volitional formations, programs, sankhara, consciousness, vijnana. And these, of course, are translations of translations. So the Buddha translated his experience into these conceptual terms and then uh, that's been put down into, uh, it was a thing he spoke in a dialect called Magadhi and that was translated into Pali in this particular form, which is very close to it. And that's translated to English. So naturally, as you, anybody knows, as you translate things, they don't entirely mean the same thing in different languages. So we have to be really get clear about what's being meant. Uh, so we look at some of these again. <coughs> so this is from the 79th. And this is called Devoured. Uh, now why because do you call it form? It is deformed because therefore it's called form. Here's the Buddha playing again. Deformed by what? Deformed by cold, deformed by heat, deformed by hunger, deformed by thirst, deformed by contact with flies, mosquitoes, wind, sun and serpents. <laughs> deformed by serpents. It is deformed because therefore it's called form. Uh, so notably again, you know, the Buddha's playing, playing on words and using some dramatic and powerful imagery. So form is often taken to be bodily form. And this is what seen as here, but rupa really means shape, form. So it can be any object that is discerned through touch, eye, sound, uh, taste, any of the sense bases, their object is called the rupa, the form, that which they pick up, the initial shape, the initial presentation of something is the form. So as we come into form, we recognize form changes all the time, even just this very bodily form as you directly experience it, sometimes feels tense or heavy or warm or supple or large or small or constricted uh, and it's always flexing and flowing it's like a candle flame uh, and that that is uh, you know all that coming and going of form and uh, sometimes quite disagreeable and sometimes just you know restless agitated forms shifting and needing to be kind of attended to. Hmm. Rupa. <clears throat> Yet we can be aware of rupa, of form. We can contemplate form. We don't necessarily have to translate it into self. Uh, so that the defining and the sensing of form as form gives us some sense of detachment or dispassion rather than fiddling with it, getting anxious about it, trying to rub it out, wishing it was another form. We say form is form. Form is doing what form does, which means it deforms. It changes from one form to another. 
under contact. Only one can be aware of that. One can stand apart from that. Because why do you call it feeling? It feels because, therefore it's called feeling. And what does it feel? It feels pleasure, it feels pain, it feels neither pain nor pleasure. It feels because, therefore it's called feeling. So here the feeling is directly uh, related to the, the pleasure-pain tone. So we use feeling very uh, extensively in English to imply moods, uh, senses, different kinds of intuition. I've, I, uh, I feel happy um, and so on. But in, you know, technically the Buddha is using this just to describe the quality of pleasure or pain or neutrality that sense, the hedonic, hedonic tone. And uh, <coughs> uh, so, and sometimes these are quite subtle, particularly on the mental level, but uh, you might say, if you, when you experience something, if you think, oh, it'd be nice when this goes away, that's called disagreeable. And if you think, oh, more of that would be good, that's called agreeable feeling. <laughs> and if you kind of, uh, so particularly at the subtle levels of psychological feeling, where you feel, oh, you know, well, put up with this, I guess, okay. Yeah, right, okay. But really, you think, be, you know, this, if this wasn't here, it would be an improvement. <laughs> and so that's the nature of feeling is like that, it's shifting. And something that was felt good for a while, the sa- apparently the same thing can lapse into feeling neutral, feeling unpleasant. It's shifting and changing, shifting and changing. And you can't rely upon it. You can't plug into it to something and expect it to give you constant, agreeable feeling. This is very disappointing. Because feeling is a huge uh, push and activation around it. Vedana. And why? Because do you call it perception, sanya? It perceives because, therefore it's called perception. And what does it perceive? It perceives blue, it perceives yellow, it perceives red, it perceives white. It perceives because, therefore it's called perception. So this is the thing that gives the first... Um, blanket overall uh, impression of something before the details get etched in and you notice these are all visual these are important to visual things um, and uh, it's not a white snow it's not a white car it's not a white elephant it's just white so it's the first flash you know something and here is using visual metaphors but uh, visual references but it can through perception through eye ear nose tongue body or mind base the first flash uh, or friendly or you know or unpleasant so it's the first hit where it enters you that's why I take perceiving is being pierced by something it enters you and, it, and when you get it it gives you an overall impression uh, and that one particular 
object, quite specific, defined and finite, the perception translates into a global overall sense. It's not like, um, uh, you know, that particular thing there is um, distasteful. One is flooded with a sense of aversion. You know, that is, that is unpl- you know, it becomes everything in you feels the, the effect of that, it enters you. Mm-hmm. So pleasure, pleasurable perceptions that are agreeable or disagreeable, liked or cherished, uh, or uh, <coughs> enter you and trigger off all kinds of responses. <coughs> and why because you call them volitional formations? And this is where it gets really interesting. And the language here starts to get rather convoluted. <coughs> where I think, you know, whatever was being done in the Pali, the poor English translator really um, had difficulties. They construct the condition because therefore they're called volitional formations. And what is the condition that they construct? They construct conditioned form as form. They construct conditioned feeling as feeling. They construct conditioned perception as perception. They construct conditioned volitional formations as volitional formations. They construct conditioned consciousness as as consciousness. They construct the conditions because therefore they're called volitional formations. So, you know, you get two senses there, the sense of something, an activity that constructs. And it it, it constructs the other aggregate. It constructs all the aggregates. And what does it do? So if you say program, there's a program that programs form to be form. There's a program that programs feeling to be this way. There's a program that programs perceptions to do just what they do. They arise, they give a flash impression, they enter you, they trigger off feeling. That's, and that, that's, a, that's a programmed thing. You can't have a perception that doesn't affect you. Such a thing cannot be. <laughs> because of the nature of the program of perception is to affect you. The program of form is to form you. The program of feeling is to is to feel. And being experiencing feeling, one feels, and there's the arising of the sense of I am feeling this, and then the arising of the response to that, I want to do something about that feeling. This is the program. And why? Because you call it consciousness, it cognizes, because therefore it's called consciousness. And what does it cognize? It cognizes sour, it cognizes bitter, it cognizes pungent, cognizes sweet, it cognizes sharp, it cognizes mild, it cognizes salty, it cognizes bland, it cognizes. Therefore it's called consciousness. (coughs) So, this is um, <clears throat> something that gives us more consciousness is essentially when the, the sense door opens and there's a, there's a corresponding sense object, then um, the consciousness is that which 
pulls that in and a perception arises so it discerns it differentiates says that and takes it in you know, again it's very here it's quite similar to perception um, maybe here what is being because of the the balancing of that you know the different refined categories of something um, it's specifically associated with differentiation so consciousness here as distinct from what we what we, what we might call awareness is the dis, the discerning discriminating differentiating medium that establishes an object mm-hmm. and that's a program <clears throat> therein bhikkhus the instructed noble disciple reflects thus I now am being devoured by form. In the past, too, I was devoured by form, in the very same way that I am now being devoured by present form. If I were to seek delight in future form, then in the future, too, I shall be devoured by form. (laughs) In the very same way that I am now being devoured by present form, having reflected thus, it becomes indifferent towards past form, He does not seek delight in future form and is practicing for dispassion towards present form, for the fading away and ceasing of form. So then they go through the aggregates in that way. And what do you think? Because is form permanent or impermanent? Permanent. And through the aggregates, impermanent. And is it suffering or, or satisfactory or happy? Suffering or unsatisfactory, venerable sir? Is what is impermanent suffering and subject to change, fit to be regarded thus, this is mine, this I am, this is myself. No, Venerable Sir. So, seeing things as they really are, bhikkhus, a noble disciple who dismantles and does not build up, abandons and does not cling, scatters and does not amass, who extinguishes and does not kindle. <coughs> He dismantles form, does not build it up, and through all the other aggregates. <clears throat> Becomes dispassionate through dispassion, his mind is liberated. When it is liberated, there comes the knowledge it's liberated, understands, destroyed his birth. Holy life has been lived, and what had been to be done has been done. There is more, no more for this state of being. Interestingly enough, it says he, he, or later on, it says he stands having dismantled form. So, what that standing is uh, does uh, becomes an interesting point. (laughs) But the sense is that uh, with the sense of dispassion and ceasing and no longer being entangled, uh, fascinated by the five aggregates. There is a standing, a freedom, a liberation that can be discerned and experienced in this life. Mm. <coughs> mm. Now, a practice, uh, what can be done is, is uh, the activities that set up and direct and 
cling to these aggregates. And this is Sankara. And so Sankara is that which conditions, programs them, and then adds more and more programs to them. And it, uh, the overall programming of them is to stick all this together to make it into a self, a coherent self. And if you can do that, then one is recommended to at least choose some good ones. But uh, in fact, choosing the good ones is pretty much essential in order to get the clarity and calm to be able to to find the freedom and begin to experience these things can flex and change. We don't have to be who we were. We don't have to be stuck in some particular negative, afflictive program. Once you begin to get a sense of that, you by doing that you really sense the flexibility of these programs. They can be unplugged, changed, steered, guided, mollified, calmed. Certain def- defective programs can be taken out, you know, like um, self-hatred and uh, fear it can be switched off. Mm. And in learning to do that, you learn, oh yeah, there's, there are things you can, that can be done in all this. And it's done through the means of calm, or steadying, or calming, or mollifying, or healing, which is the samatha, and then vipassana, really having clarified and stabilized, we can look more clearly into, well, who is this? And uh, how is this? And can, it, can there be a standing with this, a standing beside this that is not engaging in attraction or aversion? to these aggregates, letting them, as the nature, as they are conditioned, is the nature is to rise and pass. So So we're keeping on the, on the lookout and, uh, you know, in terms of practice, the, the, the signal is the sense of I am, is the alarm signal. <coughs> when you get that, whether it's felt, intuited, imagined, or, or screamed in your head, and whatever it is, I am this, I am not this, I'm something other than this, uh, I should be other than this, uh, this is not happening to me. Whether <laughs> it's, it's shifting in terms of in the aggregates, or some attitude towards them, or somehow I'm outside them. You know, I'm, I'm the I'm the awareness that's outside these. Any of this is still uh, the sankara doing its its work. Instead, we see things directly as they are training the mind to do that and less what input there is. And the huge um, push is towards the I am because it promises 
a sense of continuity and stability. And, you know, for conventional purposes, that's that's necessary to some degree. In terms of meditation, it becomes an obstacle to liberation. And just to recognise that there can be an, there can be an unconditioned, so it, that is free from the I am. It doesn't mean that we're kind of negating everything, but there can be a freedom from that particular form because the I am experience does not provide stability. It provides tension. Uh, Held together with tension of some kind or another. And there's a tremendous amount of activity to keep that I am stable. It doesn't stand up by itself. It's demanding continual uh, goodies or approval or activation or affirmation or something to wrestle with to keep it going. So the idea that it's stable and solid is uh, not so. It's made so through continual activity to keep it there. The other thing the I am uh, fashions is a sense of I'm independent. I'm independent. I value, I treasure my independence. I'm an independent being. Mm. This is a huge uh, piece of myth that is attractive and it leads to a huge amount of abuse. <laughs> what it means is I'm getting mine <laughs> in, uh, in different forms or another. Isn't it? So one of the uh, major uh, myths that causes so much destruction in the world is the imagining there's an I am self that's separate from the rest of creation and doesn't have to fit in and cooperate with the rest of creation, including other people. Uh, I am independent generally means I'm not going to give you much space or attention. <laughs> and it's also, it's, uh, it's not independent. So even when it's trying to be independent, it's having to fight for its independence every day. <coughs> so uh, one of my friends, her, had a, her granddaughter, I think she's about two, this granddaughter, she's saying she noticed the granddaughter starting to speak and say things, and she's beginning to articulate sentences, and she says, I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> and I thought, it started already. <laughs> I want to do what I want to do. You know, just wait for the tears. <laughs> when you can't get your own way. So it sounds like, you know, you know filling up with my energy, you, but you can't get what you want. Isn't it? So it seems so unjust. <laughs> That's the, the how that sankhara has led to the sense of I'm separate from everything else. So therefore, what's what? You know, there's a kind of an object. The rest of the world is just objects, and I am the real thing, the subject. And why don't these objects cooperate and give me what I want now? 
Why do they have to be so, you know, obstinate and difficult and not follow the way I, I want them to be? Yeah. It goes on, doesn't it? For a lifetime. <laughs> of why doesn't my car work? Why don't people be the way I want them to be? Why does my hair be the way I want it to be? Why doesn't my partner be the way I wanted him to be, her to be? Why is it? I want it to be my way. What's wrong with that? (laughs) And in a sense, even it's a right, I'm entitled. I've paid my taxes, I've paid my dues, I'm entitled to have things the way I want them to be. Wait for the tears. (coughs) Frustration. The sense of, in an uncooperative universe, it's not fitting my world. Well, where does the the non-cooperation start? I don't think it's in the universe. It's, it's in the I am. That's the, that's the non-cooperation. <laughs> that's where the conflict is. So the bit of training and a bit of you think, okay, I'll be with the way it is. Be with the way it is. Be with the way it is. You know, major practice, isn't it? So we look out for that signal, and what what is it referring to? You know, what is the I am referring to? Perception. I don't like the look of that. This thing strikes me as whatever, too sloppy. I mean, particularly in the communities, it's always too warm for some people, too cool for other people. The form is too sloppy for some people, not tight enough for other people. Too much going on for some people, not enough happening for other people. Mm. Too much talking for some people, not everybody's so silent, what's the matter with you? So quiet for some people. Mm. So, you know, mm. really, perception. I am the perception. Disagreeable perception has entered me, it affects me, I'm going to do something about it. Perception is a truth and a reality. No, it isn't. It's a, it's a perception. And it's associated with a feeling and it has a kind of push to it. So you meet that push of the perception and the feeling. Uh, well, there's that. How's that? You know, and by handling it skillfully, how does that perception strike my mind and how is it felt in the body? How is that impression felt in the body? Pressure, stressing, agitation, and then breathing in, breathing out. Why don't we just uh, release that, the hold of that perception, that impression? Now it's really <coughs> point I'll refer to many times is is this this because of this um, c- 
codependency or mute or <coughs> interrelationship between the body and the heart, you have a way of cross-referencing. And that's how the dismantling can happen. That's how the dismantling can happen. Because what one perceives with one's eye, one does not perceive with one's body. So your eye is saying, this is terrible, this is hideous, this is disgusting, why should it be this way? And your body isn't seeing that at all. So you get this certainly at that, oh, because your body doesn't see things, right? So you come into the body, and, right, as far as the body goes, white, blue, green, red, gray is fine. Yeah. So you, you, you can find that a place where you're not being triggered by that sense base. So when the heart feels the body not reacting, the body relaxing, the body being able to receive the, the irritation in the mind just as a feeling and an energy, feel it as an energy, not translate it into an I am, just that's the, that's the sense of it. That energy can travel through, and as energies do, if they're not being uh, potentized and energized, they fade. See, for the fading out of the effect of that, and you begin to see, oh yeah, that was just that. It wasn't a total reality, it was a mental impression. And uh, being freed from that, one feels that which created an I am, an offended I am, not getting my own way, not, not things not being the way I like them, that has ceased. That, that moment of I am has ceased. And I've lost nothing except suffering. <laughs> still present, still here, still aware, still open. All I've lost is suffering. But I don't see why it should be white when I want it blue. Blue is much nicer than white. Why is so blank, cold, blue? Pink would be nicer, warm, friendly. Oh, wait for the tears. <laughs> you know, it's come back into you know, just being here. <coughs> Into the, so you're still using the body to to absorb some of the, the the shock waves of the I am. Now, <coughs> so a body is both expressed as kaya is one way of describing body and rupa. Rupa for, really means any form. And uh, as you experience in your body, you can have many forms in that. In your physical form, this kind of body thing, you can have many different forms. You can have the breath form, you can have the bone form, you can have the earth element form, where it just feels like solid. You can have different forms within the body. The body form can feel large, small, uh, fiery, flaring, spacious, undifferentiated, misty, 
like a rock, whatever it is, different forms can occur within this very same kaya. So just beginning to bring whatever is felt as a form, as a bottle, as a form, and yeah, there's that sense of, you know, being really up and high and, and tall and compressed and wait a minute, in terms of kaya, where's the feet? And you lengthen, suddenly your form, your form can then change from being top heavy into being more balanced. So form is adjustable, referring it to the kaya, the, you know, the, the physicality of it. Form is constructed, form is constructed, it's sankharad, it's uh, programmed, it's programmed by shock, it's programmed by love, it's programmed by fear, it's programmed by contact impressions, program it. You become an expansive being, you suddenly become a contracted being. You become a stiff and rigid being, you become a flowing and open being. Form changes, and it's so it's because of that. And yet, we have this background, you know, kaya, and the sense that that has is location here. You might say the uh, the ground basis of the body, whatever it is, old or young, sick or well, is it's here. It gives us location. It gives location, and the location is simply here, here. Now, if we go to to the mind mind doesn't really have a location. It has to refer to the body. The mind can be just about anywhere. It, uh, it's not so much a here experience, but it, uh, the mind can be a now experience. So, you know, just that sense of that. Mm-hmm. Body is here. We keep coming back to whatever is happening here. And that is your your sort of your colloquial flash reference to when you're being, your forms are going chaotic or distorted or whatever. They're being affected by impressions and perceptions and so forth. You keep coming back to, yeah, okay, you know, but here. And it's that sense of here extends you into to the, you might say, the basic body. as a felt experience. This also is conditioned, but it's the, you might say it's the the tabula rasa, it's the basic tabletop, it's the the blank sheet in which everything else gets written. So we we refer to that to come out of our uh, more constructed and uh, volitionally formed experiences. The sense of here is conditioned by the life force itself. When you're walking, you're always here. 
You're sitting, you're always here. You're lying down, you're here. Eating, you're here. Happy, you're here. Miserable, you're here. Where other people say or think, you're here. You keep coming back to that. And that takes you back to that grounding of kaya and the rest of the perceptions and moods and favoring and disfavoring you've got some way of seeing them in perspective, being aware of them in perspective. Now, you say the <coughs> jitta sankara, the, how this uh, programming affects the heart, is where perception and feeling and further volition, these aggregates, have their play. Perception and feeling and further responses have their play in the realm of heart, don't they? We, so perception and feeling are what we receive, what comes into the heart, what activates us, what, oh, something's happening for me, that's a perception of feeling. And then there's a response to that. Don't feel so good today, therefore there's some psychological activity going on. Starts to occur. And so, you know, this is, of course, a lot of activity happening there. And trying to make it into a stable, comfortable self. And, uh, and it's a massive job, massive undertaking. And yet uh, life energy goes into doing that, even though it doesn't work. We make it into a manageable self. <laughs> it's about as good as you can get. And that takes a lot of work to do. Keep adjusting and defending and softening and dismissing and lifting up and changing and tweaking. Now other than this, uh, uh, you know, all these activations that go on in, in the heart, there's another uh, basic feature of the heart, of the setup, is it includes everything. Includes things. That's why things get into you, because it has the sense of it's the open space that includes things. Uh, you see something that goes into your heart. You hear something that goes into your heart. You, you know, and that's that sense of everything is gathered in there. Mm. It's not. If it doesn't, you don't experience it. <laughs> There's no experience without it touching the chitta. So part of us said, well, if you can close it down a bit, it wouldn't be so many difficult things happening. So you kind of close it off. So only, only a few bits come in. And you close it off more. Only, only the ones I like come in. But you've got to have enough openness to figure out whether you like them or not. <laughs> and, oh, that one looked like it was going to be good, but it wasn't. <laughs> and then the feeling of closing and closing and closing itself gets to be very unpleasant because you kind of numb out. You want to, have to be open to the good bits, the joyful bits, but then swiftly close down when the difficult bits come. <laughs> this too is suffering. 
still some bits you thought were good didn't didn't turn out that way so this kind of mechanism closing our own half closing it completely closing it now what we're encouraging you to do is is really to try to change the focus from what comes in to this very sense of being of this potential that we have in fact we can't avoid it to include so why don't you include everything include it all good the bad you know include it all sounds like it could be a recipe for overwhelm doesn't it but don't give too much focus to what you're including focus much more on the sense of widening softening on the activity of inclusion inclusion which is not about grasping things seizing things naming things favoring things defining things or approving of things it's just a sense of open to it and you'll find that actually things which seemed extremely pungent and intense lose a lot of that because your attention your energy is much more on just the sense of stating steady inclusion openness and that becomes possible when we we have this foundation of here in the body the heart feels supported by that yeah. and disagreeable feelings come and but they can move through disagreeable perceptions come they can move through irritate irritable unpleasant volitional formations you know negativities our grumpiness our sourness can come but as we open it passes through the heart that's closing to defend itself actually locks in all the suffering to it first noble truth is exactly that we are as we are more open to that which is innately impermanent changeable not producing satisfaction sometimes disagreeable we're open to it it doesn't sting or its sting is lessened this is essentially a shift of what we favor what we look for mm-hmm. so instead of the fascination with perceptions feelings sounds touches sights flavors and all that thoughts impressions personal whatever's come just to here grounded opening feeling that the firmness of the body really keeping that in mind so that a lot of your heart is just absorbed in sensing the body and being potentizing and emphasizing that means other things come in a much softer focus and they tend to shift through because the body discharges or does not conform to the perceptions of the eyes the ears the nose the tongue and the mind you feel it but it passes this is possible to not feel unpleasant feeling is not possible to not feel 
to not feel unpleasant feeling is not possible. To have dis- to not have disagreeable perception is not possible. To not have disagreeable, blameworthy, volitional formations is not possible. <laughs> but to not create a self out of it is possible. And by not generating a self out of it, the grasping, the favoring, the rejecting, the fearing, the irritation, the why me, the complaining, the why I'm getting it the way I want it to, ceases, and the volitional formations of greed and aversion and confusion cease. And there can be just that sense of an open presence. Still, you know, it it's, doesn't matter so much. It doesn't, doesn't matter the way it is. <coughs> so this is the possibility of the heart. And it does not mean approving. It just means refusing to close down, refusing to get into a spin around it. When things touch us and we get into a spin, we turn the heart towards the body. How is this in the body now? In the kaya the fullness of that and in the breathing and in the fullness of that so that discharging and the verbal formation whereby those uh, impressions that touch the heart are translated into conceptual matter whereby that which was an immediate impression in the here and now becomes a story that can be stored for years to come. He did this, she never did that. I'm always the one who does this. I never get mine. You know, it becomes a story. Those immediate impressions that occur, perceptions, translated into concepts become abstractions that can be then uh, stored for generations to come and taken out on occasion waved in the air and narrated <laughs> <laughs> thereby perpetuating the bleat of I am why don't things go my way yeah, so this uh, ability to translate uh, is the volition is the verbal formation to verbalize so instead of verbalizing all this stuff why don't we verbalize here now the way it is let it pass <laughs> you know verbalizing feels like this, verbalizing is changing now, verbalizing where is this in my body, verbalizing useful verbal formations. So you're getting, and these are to deal with specific navigational clarity. All you want to know is not, you know, me, you, this but just what's happening now and how does it how does it change it's a very 
disciplined use of the verbal formation. As soon as it goes into, there are four particular areas to watch out for in terms of your verbal formations. One is, of course, me. You can't really start writing that story without heading into suffering fairly promptly. (laughs) Other people. That one, sooner or later, Oh, I miss Gladys. So nice when Gladys was around, suffering. What's happened to Josh today? Suffering. Where's my son? What's he doing? Suffering. (laughs) You know, or did I do good enough by my teacher, my father, my mother, my children? Am I doing okay with the retreat manager? Is Ajahn Tito okay with me? Have I bothered him, disturbed him, annoyed him, disappointed him, failed him? All his talking, he's completely failed to live up to his teachings to all these years. <laughs> you know, he can't, so going on that track, you know, where does he down, suffering? So don't do that, you know. But we could think of, and if you can think of something, think of, rather than the, some sort of person, think of, oh, you know, the memory, the sanya, the perception of being uh, uh, guided, or being helped, or being loved. Well, you know, so instead of the person, we look really at what happened. Really at what happened. You know, and we take the inference out of it. There's nobody else here now. There's just what's happening. There's nobody else there. The rest of it's an inference. So self, other, you go into those, you end up getting into confusion, loss, and so on, judgment, comparisons. And the other directions, the past, going to be suffering, and the future, will be suffering. When I say suffering, I mean uh, unresolved, uh, longed for, uh, anticipated, uh, hope that I'll develop too, fear I've declined from, wondering how well I was and how I will be. These are the sense of the agitation, restlessness, unresolved, questioning, doubtful, regretful, uh, hasn't happened yet, when will I be all this, this kind of rumbling tide of time? And no, there isn't that, is there, really? There's the rumbling tide, but there isn't really a future. There's the present, which keeps unfolding in its forms. There's no future. How could there be something that hasn't happened? How can it be? We all know the future hasn't happened, otherwise it wouldn't be the future. So where is it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a construction of the mind that does what? It gives us a sense of inclination towards or apprehension about. That's suffering, the present. So any of these verbal 
inclinations that start triggering that, you think, oh, what's happening now? What's happening in the heart now? And then coming into the body. So this is the way that we can uh, begin to dismantle the furthering of perceptions, the proliferation of feeling, the agitations of forms, the accumulation of more and more psychological activities, volitional formations, intentions and attitudes. The cramming of consciousness into more and more discriminations, finer and finer, more and more of them. And through that we begin to experience a kind of emptying, opening, in which there's presence, we hear, there's here, there's openness, there's clarity, and content becomes uh, less intense, less an issue, less something that we get stirred up by. And this is, um, check it out, is this inclining to liberation? Does Does that seem more liberated, more free, more where you feel you want to be? If so, this is the correct way of practice for you. So now it's time to you to do as you see fit and we'll have the meal at 11.